With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is part of the Anfield Raps Christmas Hamper. What is the Anfield Raps Christmas Hamper, you ask yourself? Well, the Anfield Raps Christmas Hamper is us handing over to you all the shows that we normally put behind the paywall for this week leading up into Christmas so you can get a flavour of what's going on there. That's what we're about with this little thing. We want you to get to listen to all of this, get a flavour of what we're doing, and maybe you'll think about subscribing. You'll be able to click subscribe whenever you want to throughout these shows. Go from there, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. But more than anything else, we very much hope you enjoy the shows. Thanks for listening year the Anfield wrap it's the Central League and it's a very very special Central League show uh, as always I'd say now I'm joined by Rob Gutman from the Anfield wrap for, with Andy Kelly from the Liverpool Echo and Glenn Price from ESPN but most importantly this week and we're very very pleased he's come to join us we've got uh, Michael Beale and I suppose now I've got to call you former under 23 manager Michael Beale which uh, must sound a bit strange yeah it don't feel like I've cut the cord uh, just <laughs> yet um, still very much uh here and living in the city and still, you know, keeping in tabs with the uh, under-18s, under-23, so I probably do need to cut the call shortly, yeah. <laughs> well, well, we've got a few games to talk about here, and some of them you were the manager of, so we'll we'll do a, a normal as, as possible Central League show, but obviously having Michael here, we'll, we'll go, try and get some general insights on, on on his time as we go, and then we'll do a little bit uh, at the end, but you can speak, you can go to over top on these tributes, well, like, Michael isn't dying, he's just, <laughs> he's just going to Brazil, yeah. so, um, so yeah. Yeah, but fantastic. Thanks very much for coming. And we'll go through the games as they run. Uh, there's been six under-23 games uh, since we last spoke. Um, the first one is, um, we won through, which is December the 3rd, uh, Leicester 2, Liverpool 1. It was in the Premier League International Cup. I'll run through the team, um, which is Gubara in goal. Uh, at the back, we've got uh, Gomez, Juan Matalori and Sacco. Uh, Williams just ahead of them, uh, with Chevella and Brannigan. And then a front feet of Wilson, Lennon and Ojo. Um I start with you, Andy. Sixty-five minutes for Sheojo in this game, which is a real positive. Joe Gomez gets a ninety as well. Um, you know, good to see those boys coming back and getting some good minutes. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what you know. That's what you want the under twenty-three team to be about, isn't it? You know, when when required, you need your your players who are coming back to be uh, eased back in through there. And we've seen uh, as we go through the subsequent games, obviously, we'll see both those players uh, appear more. The game itself, of course, was probably um, remembered for the goal from his own half from the Leicester lad, which, uh, to be fair, yeah. is a tremendous effort. And um, um, and Harry Wilson getting a header, which I, I spoke to him about a couple of weeks later, and he was uh, still in shock, I think, that he, he managed to grab a header. But I think that put him into uh, double figures for, for the year. So, you know, having been given the captaincy by, by Michael, the, he really responded, Wilson. I think he's, uh, he's had a really strong year for goals and assists. 
yeah, he has had a strong year. I was going to, going to bring this up a bit, bit, bit later, Michael, but we'll do it now, as Andy's just said, that he he must feel he's doing it, everything he can. Wilson, and you must have felt when you were managing, you're still manager at, at, at kind of this point, you do the next couple of games, he must be, feel like he's doing everything he can, you know, when you spoke in the summer and talked about what you wanted from him. In terms of goals, in terms of contributions, in terms of leadership, he, he, is, he is surely knocking on the door. Yeah, you've got different types of leaders, haven't you? You've yeah. got, you know, your strong centre-halves that maybe lead with their their personality and, and vocally with their voice. And you've got others who, who lead by example. And I'd say he's like a technical leader. You know, he's someone that we think will create and score a lot of goals. I wanted to give him a little bit more profile. Yeah. I did it previously with Cameron Brannigan. I think it's a nice message for the boys who are in the younger age groups in the academy to have someone like Harry as captain because I think he does uh, technically he's a very nice player he has responded there's games where he's very quiet um, but he pops up with a goal which is quite a nice knack to have mm. I think when you're, you're coaching him you always think something might happen uh, so he's not an easy player to take off at times even when he's quiet in a game and I think as you've seen in the last three or four games and even as uh, recent as the game yesterday with Chester he uh, pops up with a goal. Um, so he's invaluable like that. Is there anything in particular that you spoke to him that he needs to do more because it feels like you know, there's a couple of people ahead of him at the moment in the pecking order. You know, Woodburn seems to have moved ahead of him. You'd, you'd imagine Ojo is as well, just coming back. Is, you know, because it, from the outside, it looks well. You know, he scored in most weeks and he's doing very well. Is there anything in particular that he needs to do to get Jürgen's attention a little bit more? Yeah, he's spent a bit of time there recently and I think that's the most important thing, that you show that you can play when you're with them, very, very good players. I think there's been times when he's played in a team with other boys that have been in and around the first team where Harry's maybe been a stronger performance. I think the obvious things that stick out is that he has to grow into his man bones a little bit. I right. think he's a little bit behind one or two others in terms of physical strength and actually the willingness to maybe go and compete. But I think with every player, you look at what they can do rather than what they can't. And I think consistently he's been top goal scorer even when boys like when Jerome Sinclair was here Harry Steele was the top goal scorer in the 18s and the 21s it shows him in a good light I think when you compare him to maybe Shea and Ryan Kent where I would say that that's a problem in their games that they don't score enough goals um, I think Ben Woodburn's doing a bit of everything at the minute yeah. which is uh, probably setting him apart uh, Juan, I guess the assist, Glenn. He's he's contributing at the moment, isn't he? We didn't see too much of him at the start for various reasons, but he seems to be um, he seems to be getting in amongst it at the moment. No, yeah, he's one of the you sort of class him as a modern day fullback in that he's you know venturing into the final third quite a bit. One thing I've noticed with him is like his crossing and his delivery yeah. um, is sensational. Really, mm. um, they're always accurate, and especially from like set pieces and corners. Um, they're a real threat, and you know, we when he first came, he didn't play that much. I think it took a bit of time for him to settle in. Um, I think there was work permit issues yeah, or yeah. something, whatever. Um, but you know, we, I was at Chester yesterday, and he had another good game. Um, he was taken off, but that was just because he uh, he felt a bit tired. Um, but he had another good game, and you know, was causing. It, it was it's kind of a weird game actually because Chester didn't have that much of the ball, but they were quite deep, so. You know, Liverpool tried to break them down with you know a few crosses and all that, and and one Maz were, were spot on as per. Mm. Generally, on the on the on this um, tournament, Michael, uh, before we kind of move on to the next game, the, the Premier League International Cup, it didn't go brilliantly for Liverpool in terms of results. Did you feel like the players still managed to get plenty out of it? Yeah, I thought the the first two games were outstanding youth development games, if you like. I thought Wolfsburg and Porto. I thought we really come off on the wrong end of two results there. Yeah. I thought that. 
Um, the Wolfsburg game, we were pushing for a winner and probably should have got it. And then we got hit with a, a sucker blow, Ben and Harry switching off and on a set play. So that was something they learnt from that one. And the Porto game, I thought second half, we drove the game. We just couldn't find the goal. Uh, the game with Leicester, I have to say, it was disappointing. I think the stats are incredible. We had 74% possession, but we we didn't we wasn't at our best. The game was played at St George's Park. It was played out on a pitch about 10 minutes walk from the training uh, the changing rooms you couldn't go back in at half time. There was a lot of things on that day that weren't great, mm. I have to say. I thought one was our best player by far and just elaborating a little bit because I've seen the boy more than the, the, the other people here today. Yeah. I think uh, he's a really really nice talent. He, he needs a bit of time to adapt to English football, but what I've seen already, he's a very very nice player and uh, different to the other fullbacks we've got. He's got a fantastic sort of CV where he was at Barcelona and he pl he captained all of their youth sides and he played for Spain. So this is a boy that if we give him time could develop into something really nice for everyone. Yeah, well, oh, great news on on that one. Um, okay, we'll move on to the the next game. I just want to run through these. Uh, Next couple quite quickly. Uh, Tuesday the 6th of um, December, away at West Brom in the Premier League Cup. Um, we drew one over West Ham. These Premier League Cup are in groups for people who don't know, which is how you can how you can manage to draw a cup game. Um, in goal was Grabada, and then in front of him we've got Alexander-Arnold, uh, Jim Maguire, Alori and Saka at the back. Uh, midfield of Shiravella, Brannigan and Ajaria, and then Woodburn, Ojo and Harry Wilson. Uh, this is actually Michael's last game in charge. A 90 for Ojo, Rob. Um, I know you're a big fan of Shea Yojo. You, you're someone who who, f who feels he can contribute for the first team moving forward. So you know he's played well in this game. I thought he's made the goal for Brannigan, and you know good to see him back. And it's you know with with someone like Mane going away, you feel like there is a gap there for, for Ojo to to make himself available, and he is making himself available at the moment. Yeah, you'd hope for him that the timing's right um, because he had that injury. The FA Cup looms, doesn't it, for, for January for these boys? Mm -hmm. And it, Liverpool have got, a, let's, let's face it, a nice third round tie that might might evolve into a fourth round tie. So that it, 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 the pressure, in a good way, is on the likes of Shea, I think, to, to come through and to, to pick up where he left off. I think it's I think it's asking too much of him to say step in and be Sadio Mane. Um, Glenn's seen more of Shea in these recent games than me and was saying beforehand he looked a little ring rusty at first. I saw more of him in the Arsenal game mm. where he gets a nice goal near the end when Shirovella puts him through. Um, but it's there for him and I think timing-wise it, it might be perfect. He's got real versatility, John. So I think from memory this West Brom game, he, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he started on the left and you switched him to the right, didn't you, Michael? Second half and uh, him and uh, Alexander-Arnold down that right-hand side caused chaos in the second half. And um, the, the thing when you switch him to the right is, and I, I presume it gives, you, it gives you that addition of him coming inside and being a goal threat on his left foot. Mm. And uh, it was cutting inside that helped him obviously set up the goal for Cameron Brannigan, who took it brilliantly, actually. It was a lovely goal. And you know, Liverpool should have gone on and won the game. They really bossed the second half. But um, then you, we've seen in other games, Ojo, you know, when we come on to the Anfield game, obviously played on the left uh, and gets a goal from, from that side. And uh, you know he's someone who can be an option either side for Jurgen Klopp, certainly coming off the bench and certainly, as Rob mentions, when we get to these um, you know, potential... We find out our opponent, uh, you know, this week in terms of Newport or Plymouth, mm. that should be a game where Shea you would be looking to try and play some minutes. I would think, and as you say, potentially if Liverpool can go through, uh, as you'd expect, 
um, you know, hopefully a, a nice fourth round draw as well. Yeah, because he's got a goal in the FA Cup, of course, hasn't he? So, um, um, and what a goal, yeah, you know, yeah, absolute yeah, so beauty. He's, so he's certainly, he's certainly be feeling, um, be, be feeling confident in that regard. Um, this, I mean, it was your last game, Michael, so we'll talk about that. Is, is that a tough thing to prepare for when you're thinking about everything you kind of want to say, but also you've got the emotions? Because, I mean, you were emotional on the night of seeing the pitches mm-hmm. and things. Was that, was that a tough thing to go for? Or have you just got to try and push that out of your head until after the game? After the game, it was difficult. Not not before, really, because we were so concentrated. We really wanted to win that game because it would have got us through to the quarterfinal like, with three group games to go, which meant it would have opened up playing time for maybe one or two other players. It's important that we, we got the job done. I think we, in the Leicester game and in this game against West Brom, we come against teams that didn't really move from their own half and we found it really difficult. I think we had the, the most passes... And academy teams had we had like over 800 passes in this game, 30 odd shots, and it was it was unfortunate not to win on the night. I thought we played ever so well. We changed our shape second half to be even more aggressive, and there was good performances throughout the team. Trent Alexander was outstanding. Yeah. Cam Brannigan, I thought, was back to his best. I thought he scored a fantastic goal. Um, no, I think similar to the first team. You know, the first team it took them. 47 minutes or whatever it did on Monday night to get that goal and, and they were pushing the whole half and it's the hardest thing to play against in football uh, to stay patient and keep trying to do the right thing I, I actually felt in this game we did it just it probably wasn't meant to be but it leaves us in a fantastic position in the group um, West Brom were, were killing time from the from the first whistle to be fair to them I guess it's good practice though isn't it AK because they're going to come up against that if they go into the first team because as um, as Michael points out there we're seeing that a lot for the for the first as well teams camping out teams saying well you know the better Liverpool do the more teams are going to try that and as much as you want to say well surely you football should be about development a little bit more for the opposition also from a Liverpool point of view well they're going to be coming up against it. So, you know, good practice from that from that I, point of view. I mean, what you want is playing a variety of styles. I think what Michael was talking about, Wolfsburg and, and those types of games early in the year, we came up against different types of teams and that's why that competition is valuable. And, um, I mean, we've seen, I've been a bit disappointed, to be honest, in some of the opposition. I know what you're saying, it does become good practice. But, for instance, we had um, Burnley come and play in the, in the Lanx Senior Cup. Now, you know, for all it's a historic competition, goes back a few years and everything else, it's, you wouldn't think it's the most important thing in the world for their youth team. And yet they came and it was played a, a 1-9-1 system <laughs> up at Kirby on a very cold night. And it was, luckily, um, Magic Gomez scored a screamer fairly early and opened the game out, Michael. But it, it, it must be frustrating for youth when, and certainly frustrating, for instance, for the people who are coming to try and enjoy youth football, um, for when teams are setting up. And I'm not sure intrinsically if we look at it from the other viewpoint what those opposition teams and their players are getting in development terms yeah. I think it's hard for us to play and I think in uh, in the Premier League it's much easier you know the opponent you're going to play against you probably know 8 or 9 or maybe even 10 of the team uh, it's easier to plan you know their style and in uh, under 23s and 18s football that changes rapidly your team changes and I think we sometimes think right this is a game where some people are coming to watch and if this player does well it'll elevate him and then so many other things can go against that. Uh, like you say, I, I was equally uh, a little bit surprised because you're talking about a one-off cup game and um, and I, I just 
believe that you should have a go, you know, and also you're, you're going on a journey with your players and team. So if you're a little bit negative or you show any negative vibe as a coach, I think it sticks with the players' memories long. So I think you're going on a journey with these young players and, um, you know, we don't get out up with too many individual games, but certainly you want them to be very positive and, and feel like they can own the ball and own the pitch, you know, and be very positive in the game. So that is what it is. Back to the game, Glenn, um, Michael's right to point out how, how well we played towards the end and how hard we pushed for it. Um, a real feature for me was Trent Alexander-Arnold's crossing. You know, there was a couple that would just be begging for a little touch and didn't quite get there. And, you know, and, we, and we've seen it from him in the first team. It was a great ball for, for the Rigi for the goal. And, you know, it, it's good to see him getting involved. It's good to see him putting a bit of onus on himself, even from right back to be, to be trying to get Liverpool a winner. And, you know, he's... It, it, it's a brilliant right foot he's got swinging, swinging those balls in yeah uh, just on the game it, it's genuinely ridiculous how Liverpool didn't win that game like <laughs> toward the last 20 minutes which is when Trent sort of came into his own I think yeah. did you give him sort of like a different role like a bit of a free role yeah we sort of changed from a back four to a back three they only had uh, the one striker up so we played uh, with three in the back and him like a diamond so he played uh, as a right-sided centre midfielder really and you could see he was a uh, he was just much like a train on that on that right hand side. Much closer to Harry and Shay, and I thought that three on that side sort of rotating. Uh, no, he's got super energy, hasn't he? What an athlete! And again, he's a, he's still a boy, you know. So we've got a player here that we can all be proud of. He's been at the club since he was six years old, but he is very much, if you look at his frame, still a boy. Uh, he's like the younger brother of Matip, isn't he? Like, and, <laughs> uh, and when he fills out and gets some power, he'll only become quicker, which is actually a good thing, I think. Can I get, if you don't mind, a bit of insight into um, the ch- his, his position and his change of position and how that comes how that comes about? Because I think it'd be interesting to know from from an insider point of view. Because maybe not quite this time last year, maybe a little bit earlier. But I'm thinking back to October last year. We saw him absolutely brilliant at way at Manchester United, and he was playing wide right and 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 right up. It was it was more or less right forward actually. He's playing there. He's scoring goals, and then. Uh, he's played a little bit of right back, and then if any much a decision is made for the rest of the season, almost he's playing under 18s at right back. And I'm interested to know how that decision comes about to turn a very exciting, explosive midfielder into, into a right back and develop on it. Who's who's involved in that decision, and and how kind of how kind of steadfast do you have to be not to think, oh, we want to win this game, so we'll just play him in as a number ten. Uh, firstly, the player's involved. I think the yeah. player's important. He has to buy into it. When I came, he was in the under-15s and I had a little rule with him that when he played with the 16s, because he was playing with older boys, he would play as a right-back. And when he was with the 15s, he'd play as a centre midfielder. Okay. So he was getting the best of both worlds. Pepin took that on further. Pepin was playing with three at the back when he took the 16s and, and Trent was playing as a number six stroke centre-half. When I first come to the club, he was playing as a centre-half right. in the under-14s. So this is a boy that's played in many positions. Um, he when he when he first came to the academy, he was a little and he played up front or on the right wing. So he sort of kept all them all them attributes. I think uh, there's no need for us at the moment to be, um, you know, quite direct in what position he plays because I think he could play as a right back if he continues to grow. He may be a very very tall right back, so it might mean that he he jumps up a line and slightly inside and plays as a midfielder where he can continue with that energy at getting up and down. But he's also got a very good passing range. As you see with his crossing, anyone that can cross the ball well has got a very good passing range. and He could play as a holding midfielder. Me, personally, I don't mind where he plays as long as he's playing in our first team. I think uh, that would be what I want for him and, and what very much he would want and what everyone around him would want. I just think at the moment um, it's possibly when you're with the first team, 
to maybe settle a little bit. And I think he's shown in the first 10 games he can be a very, very good almost right winger playing at right back. And uh, that gives the team an extra dimension, I think. Um, so, yeah, at this moment in time, Trent just wants to play football, I'm sure. So he doesn't mind where he plays as long as he's training with the first team every day and the managers develop him. I think that's the best place for him. Great. OK, um, very quickly, there was a friendly uh, the day after uh, Wednesday the 7th. Liverpool played Nuremberg at, at home. It was it was nil-nil. Um, very much a changed team. Um, Shamal George, Whelan, uh, Nathan Phillips, Masterson and Brewitt. Williams, Brimmer, Virtue, and then a front three of Tony Gomez, Alves, and Brooks Lennon. Um, these friendlies to, to get players' games, I guess, as much as anything, Michael, in, in this situation. Um, I'm interested to ask you particularly about a couple of the young centre-halves here um, who maybe maybe you find it a little bit tougher after moving up from the under-18s to kind of get games. And they're behind Alori and Sacco, and I find that quite interesting because Sacco seems to me that he's very unlikely to pay for Liverpool's first team again. So... I'm interested in the decisions that that are made within a football club to 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 play Sacco in these games where where there's maybe young lads who, you know, would think well, well, play me, play me. I've got I've got more of a chance of, of maybe getting through to the first team. And, and how is it is it because of you know you, you want the influence of, of experience centre half there? Is it for, for what you can offer, or, or is it well you've got to keep a match fit just in case for the first team? Yeah, I think with Mamadou, he's still an asset for the club, and we'll see that if he ever moves on in the coming months, it'll be money that comes in that can be used elsewhere. Um, he's come down, he's shown the, a lot of respect to the staff and the players. He's been like a mentor to them, so there's been no problem in terms of of how he's behaved and how he's applied himself. It would be a a, a different uh, situation if any player was a problem, I think. Um, in terms of uh, Mamadou and Thiago Elori and then uh, latterly Joe Gomez, there's not many Premier League uh, pairings as strong as them. I, mm. think, um, I think with Thiago Elori, what you're seeing is a young boy sort of uh, blossoming a little bit by having a very secure, knowing where he is environment and being able to develop. I think he'll go on to be an outstanding player, if I'm honest. Um, I think he's showing maturity. He needs to show more, but I think he will get it. Um, and young Joe is a fantastic player as well. So it has been very tough for, say, a Nathan Phillips and very tough for Tom Brewitt. The person it's been most harsh on is Corey Whelan because yeah. before... It happened. Corey was playing ever so well. I think he'd been man of the match probably in two games uh, consecutively. So it was very difficult. But Corey also can play left back and right back um, and hold in midfield. Corey's a really interesting player in his own right. Very similar to Matt Virtue, who is the young sung hero of the under-23 squad. But at times he's competing with Ovier, Kev Stewart, Pedro, Cam Brannigan, all dropping down. And it's um, it's got to be on merit. So if Mamadou wasn't pulling his weight, there would be no, there's no issues with uh, any coaches not playing him. But uh, he was pulling his weight. You know? Yeah. Just a word on Corey Wheatland. Um, obviously, he was, I think he was shifted out to right, not shifted, but he was played at right back for a, a few games recently because yeah. of obviously Sacco and Alori, and he did really well. Um, you know, probably having played, you know, we've seen him as centre back predominantly. Um, might not have been the easiest thing to play right back, especially in the way that Liverpool want to play in in the right backs getting forward. But he uh, he did did a good job. I know Johnny. Um, Make say this. He, he he should have been on the score sheet, shouldn't he? Make that how he hasn't got a goal in his. You know, I think he's probably four or five occasions he's been so close to a goal, Corey, from that right back side that that Glenn's talking about, and he's really 
while he's always looked comfortable at centre back, he, he looks equally as comfortable at, at, at right full back for me. And that versatility is something that's only going to help him going forward, isn't it? Mate, he's a dark horse for me. Uh, I've seen him grow up a lot as a kid. Um, that's the first thing. Seen a big maturity in him. He's one of the leaders in the under 23 dressing room, which is what people won't know. He's very versatile. And the biggest compliment I can play, uh, pay, pay him is that whoever plays right wing, when he's playing right back, he has a really good sort of combination and understanding with. Um, again, in that position, we have Trent Alexander and Connor Randall. So we're not short of a right back. And obviously, Nathaniel Klein is excellent as well. You know, I think he's been excellent for the first team. So Corey has to be quite flexible, but it's a great asset because he'll always, if he doesn't make the team, he'll always make the bench because he can play across the back four. And I think sort of players like him can go a little bit unnoticed. Uh, the longer he can stay in the club, I think he'll build a future with Liverpool, hopefully. It's interesting, John. I was looking at the stats in terms of who's played the most minutes for Liverpool this season as we come into a really busy period. Um, and uh, Nathaniel Klein's played every minute of every Premier League game for Liverpool, just ahead of Jordan Henderson, who's almost played every minute. Now, that's a sign to me that as we enter a busy period, Jurgen will be thinking to himself, where can I get a rest into Nathaniel Klein? Because mm. one thing you know, him and his staff know those stats inside out. Oh, so, who's he, who's he looking at? He's looking at Trent Alexander-Arnold on his subs bench. And, and progressively then, if Trent gets a chance, say, in the cup games, you'd think oh, absolutely certainly will be the right back. Um, and um, potentially maybe uh, you know a home Premier League game that that say looks a lot easier than Man City looks if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so Trent gets that opportunity and then that looping up obviously an avenue for Corey and and people like that at twenty threes level. I have to say if I look at the uh, team, I didn't see the game yesterday, but if I look at that under twenty threes team, it would beat a lot of teams playing in the football league in my opinion. You think? Yeah, I think it would. I think it's an outstanding team. You know, the team was Shamal George, uh, right back Trent Alexander, centre backs Gomez and Sacco, left back Wanma, midfield Kev Stewart, Cam Brannigan, Ovie Ajari, Shea Ojo, Ben Woodburn, Harry Wilson. There's players missing from that team who are also uh, would add to it. You know, this is a very very competitive under 23 squad situation. We, the the aim for the club was to sort of build up the under 23s. We're in, Previous years, maybe we'd sent players out to get experience, to spend a bit of time playing together and really, you know, um, feel good about ourselves, but also really develop the style that Jurgen wants. And I think we've seen lots of progress in that. Um, the only thing I would say is what happens next, because, you know, we've got a very, very strong first team and some of these boys, maybe not now, but in the future, will need being exposed to maybe another level because there's there's only been one game, I would say, that we struggled in in the last sort of uh, three or four months, and that was Man City away, who are also a very, very good team, very similar to ourselves in that sense. OK, and we'll move on to the Arsenal game next. Um, this is a league game, uh, Monday the 12th of December, Liverpool 3, Arsenal 2. A very exciting game. Um, Shamal George um, was in goal for this. And then uh, back four, uh, Villori, Maguire, Gomez and Sacco. Then Kev Stewart just ahead of them uh, with Shiravella and Brannigan in midfield. Then a front feet of Lennon, Ojo and Harry Wilson. Um, two goals for Harry Wilson again in this and one for Ojo. At Anfield, and in front of nearly three thousand, Andy, which is um, which is good, and it's good for the players, isn't it? And it's good to get those numbers watching the under twenty threes. And well, they got a good game; they got plenty of action. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, we used to see uh, you know a few more 
games being played at Anfield, and obviously the, for various reasons last year, obviously it was the building work kept us away apart from that Man City game on the Sunday. Yeah. And uh, it was good to get uh, get the first one this season and to have it. You know, Arsenal team will come and play a, an interesting game. They played a very high line, didn't they? Which yeah. uh, which worked for Liverpool uh, actually, and and facilitated a very good game of football. And um, you know, Ojo scores a lovely goal. Um, Obviously, a bad decision from their goalkeeper struck defender in terms of the penalty. Where Cam Brannigan did really well to get yeah. in there, didn't he? And uh, uh, and another, you know, first the first goal, goal from, from yeah, Wilson we we, as we well. were reminiscing about um, about Robbie Keane away at Arsenal, where yeah, he was a similar yeah, similar, like similar ball over, and he watches it brilliantly, considering it's so early in the game. Harry Wilson, and, he, and, he, and he's alive, so that he does really well, doesn't he, Rob? Yeah, it's a nice finish, isn't it? It's the first minute. I think yeah, the, both sides are like, quite high up the pitch actually, don't they? Because Arsenal uh, hit us back on the counter. I think within two minutes, um, Joe, Joe Gomez gets caught caught out slightly. Uh, but yeah, that's a hell of a. It, it does look like a historic goal that that. There was just something about the long arcing ball and the finish. Three um, one. I wouldn't say cruising, Glenn, but it's looking pretty good, and uh, we're all enjoying ourselves. Then it gets back to three two, and then I mean, then Shamal George has to make some really really good saves, doesn't he, to to keep us in it, well, keep us ahead. Well, yeah, yeah, I think they managed the second half really well. I think. Um, you know, it's three one, so there's no need to be committing that far forward. And they had a few chances to extend the lead, but I think it was the seventy third minute where Arsenal got that goal, and it sort of came against the run of the run of play, if you can call it that. Um, and then Liverpool did require Shamal George. Um, I think that was his like first competitive game for a while um, since his, his appearance up front against Huddersfield. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and he, he did really well. Um, yeah, it was it was a good game. I thought Brannigan was was really really good in that. But Joe Gomez played forty five minutes, and I was you know really impressed with his, with his performance. And then he was obviously taken off at half time because the, this was the day after the West Ham game in which Lovren came off. So there was a bit of um, you know just in case there was some other injuries in the first team, you know we'll, we'll be we'll be a bit safe with with Gomez. Yeah, can, can, can I ask Michael about Joe Gomez actually, if you don't mind? I mean, Joe arrived was at the beginning of last season, and he's he's 18, and he's straight away in the first team. The potential seems frightening. He got supporters really excited, and then that terrible bad luck with the injury. It's a nervous time for him, I imagine, coming back as Danny Ings has experienced whether he can actually stay on the same trajectory. With your, I mean, you've obviously worked with him probably just for a few weeks now. What's your impression about how he's how his comeback's coming coming along? I've known Joe for a long time. All right. When I, I, I was a failed footballer at Cholton, so I spent ten years there. So my friends. Um, my friend was the youth team coach when uh, Joe was there, and then the reserve team coach, then the first team assistant. So I've known about Joe for a long time, um, and these temperaments always been one thing that's been sort of um, praised to me about him before he came to Liverpool. That look, this boy's got a fantastic temperament. The people at Charlton have developed a lot of players, and they felt felt that this boy had the potential to go on. I think not in his wildest dreams did he come and start playing at left back in the Premier League and doing so well. Uh, the injury coincided with a change of manager and, and a lot of months where a boy is living away from what is his natural home and I'm sure is difficult. Mm. And that's without me even knowing Joe uh, at this point. In the time that he come and played for us recently, what I can say is a lovely boy, a lovely person. I think he's got a fantastic temperament and he looks fit and strong. Mm. There's one thing being fit 
um, in terms of being able to fit and play games. And there's one thing, playing games, to sort of get yourself back to where you were. And I think we're seeing that at the moment. I thought this game against Arsenal, I thought, firstly, I was over the moon for Mick. It was his first game at Anfield and he won. And, uh, and against a really good opponent, an opponent that, similar to maybe a Chelsea or Man City, that don't take a backward step, they come and play against you. Their team's got a number of players that have been in and around their first team that are well-liked. So I thought it was a very good performance, considering um, the amount of changes. I Thiago playing at right-back, then uh, Joe going off, Thiago going in. So a new right-back, so you're changing the back four. Kev Stewart obviously coming out, which was pre-planned as well. So there was a lot of fiddling around with the team. And I echo what Glenn said. I thought it was going to be 4-1 or 5-1. Didn't take them chances. And then a good team will, will hit you and they sort of... Both the goals we conceded on the night, we lost possession in our own half, so we can look back at that with, um, with regret. But in regards to Joe Gomez, uh, I think it's still early days after what was a really tough injury for a young boy. Um, but the manager's said everything that you need to hear maybe about him. He really likes him. He certainly does. Um, OK, this was the last league game of the season. It leaves Liverpool in third in the league, uh, three points behind Everton and one behind Manchester City. And I know managers at this level don't obsess about league titles, uh, sorry, well, league positions and, and, and things like that, Michael. But the fact that that top three is Everton first, Man City second, Liverpool third, just shows how strong youth football is in this region. That must be something that you guys are aware of. Man City are being very aggressive in terms of recruitment in the area. Everton have always been good in terms of youth football and in terms of you know having a good reputation and that must be something you're aware of in Liverpool and something you must talk about is that you know how, how competitive it is for players and, for, and for, for getting the right people in in the North West. I'm biased so uh, we're doing better than them because we've had more first team involvement so yeah. basically that, that's what we're here to do. Man City invested a lot of money and have a very very good team, very good team. Um, Everton I've always said it between the two clubs Especially in the 97 age group, which is an age group they're very strong in, and we're very strong in as well. If that age group was with one club, wow. So I think we can be really proud. I think Dave Unsworth's obviously done a very good job. Um, it, was a, it was a nice game to win earlier this season. I had a sneaky feeling that we would, we would get to Christmas and be top. Not through like being desperate to be there, just because I felt we were the best team. The, the way we were playing, I felt was very, very exciting. And I'll probably look back at the Derby game and think, wow, like in the first half in that game, we had enough chances maybe to win two games. And if we'd have won that, obviously we'd be three or two points better off. But fair play to the other two teams have, have done very well. But our team's changed a lot because we had first team involvement, which is the biggest thing. If you look at the 11s of Everton and Man City, they've been very much more stable than ours. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a general challenge for whoever's going to take this job on, Michael. Is it about stability and about... You know, it must be fairly late in the day when you know who you've got to pick, and, that, and, that, and that's been. I know we've we've spoke about it before when we've met, and also generally for the for the next player. You know, and I mean, and look, you want players involved in the first team, and you want to see the players moving on and things like that. But it still must be a little bit of a challenge when you know you get into the night before and 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 think about what system are going to play, who who've got there, and who've got available. Yeah, of course, that's one of the challenges of the job. Um, I think you get used to that as a youth development coach through the ages. You know, players get pulled around a little bit. I think what makes it easier for us is the attitude of the boys coming from Melwood has been exceptional in the last year. 
uh, in the whole time I've been at the club, but especially in the last year. So sort of the discipline and standards the management's putting into them and the importance of playing and playing well in the under-23s, I think is a massive, uh, a huge thing for every under-23 coach. And then we have a nice environment. I've mentioned it before about ex-players coming in and being around it. Um, people, you know, Kenny Dalglish has been in a lot recently. Yeah. I think... Um, it's very hard for these young boys to take their foot off it when you've got someone like Kenny standing over you watching you train and play. Mm. So I think there's instant feedback. You know, There's no egos, there's no arrogance. Um, that's been really pleasing because it is different. Once you get to the first team, that's where you want to be. Under 23 games are not as sexy as they used to be. Um, <laughs> how can you have an environment where you play in front of 50,000 in a first team game and then a week later play in front of 50 people at Chester or Tranmere or even at the academy in under-23s game and be the same person, of course the crowd gets more from you. Gives you a, a little bit of a, a push at certain times in the game, you know, when the crowd are behind the team. You just find a second wind maybe that you don't have or extra energy. Um, but I have to say that uh, the link between the academy and the first team is really important. Pepin Linders has, deserves a lot of praise for that. Because um, me and him, we are very close friends, but even in the two weeks I've not been there, I know that that relationship between him, Mick and Tim Jenkins has already really blended well. Great. Um, so that's important for the club. OK, um, two friendlies we'll run through as quick as we can. Friday the 16th of September, uh, Liverpool 5, Hangzhou 1, uh, two goals for Ojo, two goals for Jack Dorn, who's back from loan, and a goal from Nathan Phillips. Uh, rather than the game, I'll just, I'll just talk about those two last players a little bit. Start with you, Andy. Uh, the Jack Dunn loan move seemed very strange because he went he went there, played really, really well, scored a hat-trick in, in a cup game and, and seemed to be flying, and then, and then he suddenly out the team and you kind of wonder what's going on. Yeah, and... Mick may well know what's going on. I, I don't, but I mean, they seem to be. It was a great start for him that hat trick, wasn't it? And yeah. um, you know, you thought finally Jack Dunn's getting a bit of luck because he's been dogged by injuries. Every time he f you felt like he was getting somewhere in terms of oh, this lad, you know, he, he knows how to score goals, Jack Dunn. But he was, you know, he'd have months problems with with, with injuries, and um, it's a struggle, isn't it? Because you know, going up to to Morecambe felt like a, a good move for him and yeah. um, you know prove yourself there and um, not necessarily that that you're going to come back to Liverpool and do anything I think uh, I mean Jack's at a stage I'm not quite sure what age he is but you sort of he's early 20s yeah isn't he? you sort of wonder whether he might need to move on and establish himself as a player again somewhere else and um, he certainly knows how to score goals and and it is a bit disappointing that perhaps he couldn't cement a place there you know, potentially even go permanently and then take his career from there. And um, you know, it, it, you wish you wish him all the best because every time you see him, you know, he's he looks an enthusiastic lad and loves loves scoring goals. I mean, I guess Michael, it's one of the the problems with with loaning players out is you know you, you know some things go out of your hands. And so Jack Dunn, I'm sure everyone at Liverpool would have wanted him to do really well there, wanted to play there. He, he starts great, and then and then suddenly he's not being picked and. There's not really much, I guess, that, that, that Liverpool can do about that apart from bringing him back early, which is what they've done. Yeah, I think he was injured for a long time. So when he went there, he was in the perfect condition. So that uh, we was aware, you know, Jim Bentley is fantastic. I think he's one of the top three or four longest serving managers in the country, you know, and on a really shoestring budget. Um, so we was liaising with him all the time, and it, and he was he the way he treated Jack and the way he handled him was fantastic. I think in return, Jack scored some goals, and then. 
you know, you've seen the same media reports as me. You know, Morecambe have had a change of ownership and a change of everything at the moment. So I think there was a lot of things around it. We never dwell on these things. Jack's back in. He's, he's, he's training. And he's um, obviously scored a couple of goals in this game. And, and will January will be a, a really important time for him, I'm sure. OK, and the other player I want to talk about is Nathan Phillips. Um, he came in the summer from Bolton. I spoke to a couple of Bolton fans and they were maybe a little bit surprised that a club like Liverpool had, had come in for him. Um, mm. So I'm just interested to get your insight, if you don't mind, on what on, on the scouting at this level. Who is it who's involved in it and what was it in particular that, that was spotted in Nathan Phillips that thought that he could do a job at Liverpool? Well, he's, um, he's very tall and gangly. He's not filled out just yet. He'd missed a lot of time in his development um, through growth-related injuries been recommended to us by one of our chief scouts um, and so we thought it was an interesting project we took him away to Germany we was expecting a different sort of under 23 squad and uh, we've just felt it was one that you know have to trust the staff on it that um, you know one like a Kev Stewart or OVA that we can make something of a player because they have the right credentials and then once you put a lot of training and confidence and self-belief into them and he's been outstanding behind the scenes in terms of acclimatising to Liverpool, acclimatising to the way we play and what we want for him. Spent a lot of time in the gym, he's very dominant in the air um, but it's, it's going to be a long burner um, and I think in the second half of the season I think you'll be pleasantly surprised he'll play a lot more and he'll show a good level. Something to look forward to there. Okay, the final game for the under-23s, the final friendly, was just yesterday. It was away at Chester. We've talked about it a little bit already, but uh, it was Wilson again and Brannigan with the goals. Uh, Glenn, you went down. Home, home game for you. It was, yeah. Did, did was, you have a nice time? It was nice, yeah. Um, I think the 450 people that it's, went as well bad, did, yeah. It was £3 for adults and a pound for kids. So they had a good afternoon. Chester played well. Um uh, Liverpool were even better, actually. Brannigan's goal was, was quite good. I, I was unsure if it was... A good a long strike as it was because I had my head down in my laptop. But uh, I've got a story a on that later, John. <laughs> um, but yeah, they would deserve to win. As Ojo was, that was probably the best I've seen Ojo since since he's come back. Um, and yeah, um, Sacco came off at half time. Wanma played well. He came off before. Yeah, it was a, it was a, just speaking to Mike Garrity afterwards. You know, um, he's like he's had a bit of a whirlwind you know sort of few weeks and stuff and he was saying that you know everything's pretty much stayed similar in terms of the game preparation just the one thing that has changed and he's getting used to is you know speaking to the likes of me and Andy and and the journalist after the game oh the the, the tough grilling the that tough, comes from uh, Glenn Paxman Price <laughs> <laughs> yeah um he says he's finding it all right you know. get, <laughs> get him on get him on the show what, I mean what's his what's his kind of official title at the moment is it kind of you know is he interim manager Rafa style is he is he caretaker or I think him and Tim are meant to be you know co yeah. coaching the team on an interim basis is, is if that's what led to believe yeah, Mick's taking the team, Mick's the coach, he's, um, he's an outstanding coach, he did it with the youth team a few years ago when Steve Cooper left, he took the team on uh, fantastically well then, and he's more than ready, I think it's important, he's the longest serving academy coach, which is a really good point to know, he's worked through the age groups, um, when I first came he was assistant under 18s coach, he took that on for a while before Neil Critchley came, he stayed with him as an assistant. He's moved with me. This man's worked with the under-sixes, the under-nines, the twelves. He's seen the journey of all these players, so he's had as big an input as anybody. He's mad passionate uh, red. You know, you couldn't find a more passionate supporter of Liverpool. Um, 
and he, he really believes in and, and, and likes these kids. I, I would love to see him go on and have a fantastic second half of the season and then and then stay in the role. I think, um, you know, an unsung, you know, behind the scenes, Tim Jenkins, if you spend any time with him, he's fantastic. He's a coach, but he's an unbelievably uh, good analyst of football. And um, so he he runs that department. So it wasn't fit for Tim to take over. He would just continue as an assistant and maybe someone else, one of the former players or Alex or Neil Critchley will spend a little bit more time with him to sort of, uh, complement that staff because there is a big mix of players you know there's players coming in and out all the time from Melwood and maybe the 18s and you need a lot of it needs to be a team effort um, you know it very much is a team effort that was the the hardest thing for me these people I spend every minute of every day together and they give it you know hell every single day and mix one of them with it rains he's the most energetic person it's sunny we win we lose the one thing about Mick Garrity that I love is that every day he's so energetic. He's feisty on the sidelines as well. I've seen him you know, have a few exchange of words with, with opposition benches, which, which is always good to see. And you but, always... but does he sit on a Gatorade crate quite like Beely? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's, he's got those shoes to fill. He, 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 he can warm up to it. OK, the under-18s have played three games since we last spoke. The first one, Saturday the 3rd of January. Liverpool, two medals for one. Album for the team for the under-18s. Uh, Shamal George in goal. Uh, back forward of Lassie, Lewis, Masterson and Johnson. Ahead of them, Liam Coyle. And then ahead of Liam Coyle... Uh, uh, Jan Dander, um, Jones, McCauley, Brewster and Adekanyi. Um, Rian Brewster gets the double, including an 88th minute winner. He's he's flying at the moment, aka isn't he, Rian? And I think still a young player even at this level and taking responsibility, being the man, being the match winner in a, in a late, just, just kind of shows how confident he is at the moment. Yeah, he's had a really good few months, hasn't he, both with Liverpool and away with England, where we've spoken before about the number of goals he's rattling in there. And um, looks like a lad who's just massively enthusiastic. No one, when we get to the Youth Cup, when no one celebrated on the pitch at Prenton Park on Saturday after the Youth Cup win more than Rian Bruce. He absolutely loved it. And, um, you know, he'd been taken off just before the end. And he was just, uh, uh, you could tell how much it meant to him. And uh, he's a really nice young player. I think he's already grown... Um, from like being a real Billy Wiz type when we first saw him yeah. about 12 months ago he's he's grown already needs to grow some more I, I suspect but um he's he's finding the net and uh, you know he took his he took his, his winning goal, late winning goal, really well. It was a really enjoyable match, this, actually. And um, I'm sure you're going to mention Curtis Jones yep. making his debut. Yep. And, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I like him, John. <laughs> I mean, for people like Curtis Jones, I mean, for, for people in the club, they don't want us to talk about people like that too much, do they, Mike? Because he's 15. And, you know, you, you're talking about a boy, and we call them all boys, but 15 is, is very much a boy, isn't he? But I noticed he, he put on his Instagram today that he was over with the first team and he was getting advice from Daniel Sturridge, who, who just seems fantastic with young players generally, it seems to me. You know, I've seen him when he's when he's played with the likes of Ojo and he, and he talks them through it and things like that. So I know we don't want to get overexcited about 15 years, a long way to go, but he's um, since stepping up to the under-18s, he's certainly made his mark. Yeah, I think you see the energy of a young boy that's uh, under 16 wanting to play for the under 18. Uh, I think what we want to see as, as the staff is that. I think we've been delighted with the way that he's played. I think it's how long does he keep that energy. I would say that to all the young players when you step from the 16s to the 18s, it's the best thing in the world. How long do you keep that energy? Same again when you move from the 18s to the 23s. The first few games are, are easy in terms of your mentality towards it. Same as when you go from the 
uh, 23s to the first team and vice versa when you come back. Mm. So I think that's the test of um, the best players. I remember seeing Steven Gerrard play in a training game with the under-16s when he was trying to get fit for a game. Uh, and he was playing with Trent Alexander and Herbie and he was unbelievable. And he trained like that every day and that, that's why he is the player that, or he was the player that he was because there was no, he didn't pick and choose the moment. So we'll be very keen to see Curtis kicking on. He's a player that can outplay people 1v1. He can play centre midfield. He can play wide. He can play as a deep midfielder. So it's lovely. We're developing these players now that are, uh, are able to play in a range of different positions. Uh, just going back on Rian Brewster, he's one that I would play very close attention to. We are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, I was going to move on pressure to, on the lads. Yeah, you know, was, so you don't have to. I was going to move on to my uh, my chief chief member of excitement, Rob Gutman. Yeah. There after after we've just said, let's not to get, get too carried away about these boys. Uh, Rob, you always want to get carried away about a young <laughs> talent. Uh, I mean, but Curtis, you know, he, he, yeah. he is only fifteen, but the, the, the fact that he's from from Toxteth and stuff like that just just makes you kind of buzz on it a little bit more, you know. Um, just, that would be something, wouldn't it? It would be something, but also, but also, Ryan Booster, just how he's playing for England as well yeah. as, as kind of way as Liverpool. He, he just seems at the moment that he's um, that he, he, he's just completely aware of the, of the kind of footballer he is and, and kind of what he needs to do, and just very excited at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's those lads who are on, on the fast track. But as Michael says, it's, it's how long they maintain that progress. Mm. The youth cup game, I saw him play. He played wide right, didn't he? Right wing, and he seemed to adapt to that well. And Curtis scores that fantastic goal as well in the, in the Youth Cup game. Yeah, he scores so, in the next two, actually. Is it the next two he scores yeah. in? I, I, I've only seen the Youth Cup games, yeah. OK, we'll, <laughs> we'll move, on to, move on to the next one. Uh, Liverpool go to Stoke and beat them 5-1. Uh, the team is Gabada, Latti, uh, Lewis, Masterson and Johnston. Coyle again ahead of them. And then ahead of him are the Kanye, Jones, McCauley, Brewster and Jan Dander. Uh, it's two for McCauley, one for George Johnston, one for Camacho and then one for Curtis Jones, as I just said. Uh, 13 for the season for McCauley. Knows where the goal is, AK. Yeah, well, it's not. It's always nice to have a good Irish lad coming through <laughs> at Liverpool. I'll tell you that, and um, he's he yeah, said Brewster loving scoring goals. Macaulay is like he's he's a proper sniffer. Do you know what yeah. I mean? He, the, your worry for him, if there is a worry for him, is that will he have the sort of massive physical attributes that when it comes to a higher level, uh, the sort of transition that perhaps. We're seeing Tony Gomez have to try and make at 223's level this year, and um, you know he's very, you know he's thin and wiry, Glenn McCauley, but um, massively um, in, in enthusiastic. His um, his dad, I think, was following my Twitter updates on the uh, that, yeah. on the um, on the Youth Cup game. Uh, I can't believe he was on sixth penalty. Uh, and he was on the, he was on the pe- well, yeah, it was the crucial one though, well, and, he, and he just got it in, got it in, and uh, but he's you know and. He's a player who sort of just arrived out of nowhere because Liam Miller got injured and is, yep. you know still on the on the comeback path. And Liam Miller had started the season really well, so um, it's good to see that they're you know the hardest thing in football is putting it in the net. And we've got a few who who know how to do it. And it's just if they can take that next step, both in terms of physical progression um, and sort of as Mick talks about in terms of you know their mentality and uh, but it'll be fascinating to watch and it certainly makes 
the, the under 18s that I mean the reason we've loved them in this room is that you know you rarely get a dull game no. with them. I mean Critch was annoyed with this game. One five one away. Yeah, well I've, I've got some quotes from it from from Critch Eagle, and they are, and they are quite interesting. It says we have played much better than this and only drawn in some of our previous games, and five one flattered us a bit to be honest. It's always nice to get a good results, but for us the overall performances that are the main thing, and we can play better. Um, you know, it's not exactly what you'd expect from a manager after you've just won 5-1, <laughs> but I suppose it goes back to what Michael's always said, which is that at this level, actually, you know, you're focusing on performances, you're focusing on how you're developing as a team, and, you know, he's not going to get ridiculously excited if, if, they, if they win 5-1 and everything goes in when, you know, he thinks we've played just as well in another game and it hasn't quite worked out for us. Yeah, it's one of them where, you know, it's sometimes the perception of a win is that, you you know, you don't look at the faults and... Yeah, like um, I, th- I think maybe it's probably just a bit, you know, to to get. It. I, I wasn't at the game; I haven't seen anything of it. But maybe it's just one of them where, you know, keep keep expectations quite low and keep the players' feet well on the ground. Keeping grounded before the big game, and it was coming up in the FA FA Youth Cup. Uh, Liverpool two, Crystal Palace two, um, five four on pens. I'll go through the team uh, before Andy Kelly relives it for <laughs> us. If if is if if your heart's recovered. <laughs> it, it, it really hasn't. I'm, I'm still exhausted. <laughs> I was exhausted just following your Twitter updates. Uh, uh, walk around the shops pretending to be interested in John Lewis, just watching your penalties on the phone. Um, Gabardo in goal, and then Latty, uh, Lewis, Masterson, and Johnson Coyle again ahead of them, and then ahead of him, Brewster Jones, McCauley, Danda, and Adekanyi. Um, Gabardo's one who does drop down in this game. Um, he goes down into the under-18s. Tony Gomez, too, comes off the bench at half-time, comes on for Adekanya, who's been more involved in the under-23s. Um, the decisions around this... I think you, I'll start with you, actually, Michael, before we talk on this game, around around the Youth Cup. Because when we when we met um, a couple of months ago, I think it was now, you suggested that maybe more of the, more of the lads who are, who are of that age might, might step down and play in the Youth Cup. Um, maybe expecting a couple of more, but... I guess since then that they've they've moved up the pecking order and there's injuries and things like that. So for someone like a Ben Woodburn, I'm sure would have liked to have played someone like Trent, who probably still feels like the the captain of of these boys. Really, there, there must there must have been a little bit of a temptation to to give him a go. Yeah, I think they was training with the team, getting ready for the derby. So if there's you know you're almost winning before you play. One thing I'll say about Neil Critchley is unbelievable developer of. Um, He's a youth developer, 100%. You know, if you were looking for the term, you'd find his name because he never budges on these things. You know, if a boy's up with the first team, he'd never ring up the first team and ask for that player back for a youth cup game. He understands that the the, the schedule of playing Middlesbrough away and then this game was was more important, and and they were sort of second choices in the positions. Now, uh, I, don't get me wrong, uh, Kelleher wasn't fit, Herbie Kane wasn't fit, Liam Miller wasn't fit. And then you're also thinking about Trent and Ben. We've got a number of good players. I felt that the team we put out on the day was a very strong team. A good bench also with Tony Gomez on there. Um, we probably made a little bit hard work of it. I thought didn't think that Crystal Palace were fantastic. I just thought they were very awkward. They were very athletic and, and, and they defended for large numbers of uh, periods of the game. Um, yeah, it was strange. We, we certainly deserved to come through the game. Um, I think with the under-18s at the moment, there's a, uh, a high number of very, very good attacking players. So you mentioned Glenn's on, on fire, scoring goals. <coughs> there's there's Rian, Liam Miller to come back, Jan Danda, Bobby Adekanyi, Rafa Camacho. When you think that Ben's one of the youngest of that group as well. And the under-23s are not short of good attacking players. So you sort of got to juggle when they all play. Um, 
So no, as I say, I'm really pleased they got through and before they play the next game it's Man City, you'd like mm. to think that we would have the other players available for that one if the schedule fits. Yeah. It doesn't in previous years the same things happened. Jordan Ibe never dropped from the first team to play. He played in one round, didn't play in the rest. Shea Ojo the same. Uh, I remember once in the UEFA Youth League we had players on loan and they didn't play against Real Madrid. So we really do show what our focus is, I think, which is progression. Okay. Um We'll go through the game then, AKO. Crystal Palace score, then um, defend deep, don't they? Defend hard, and it's Curtis Jones who manages to get the equaliser and, and get the goal. Yeah, it's um, Mike says they were. Critch was expecting a tough game, even though they're a, a academy two or whatever you call them. Uh, the right phrase is, but uh, and they were, and they had that sort of um, some physical. They had pace about their team in places as well, and they had that thing where they wanted to defend a lot, but they also had a goal threat at the other end. The lad um, Flanagan. Flanagan was a good player yeah. for them, and uh, and they had a couple. Um, Diego Latta gives gives away a penalty. It was a little bit unfortunate, and and I think he'll probably will probably look back on it and think he probably didn't need to. He sort of pulls the lad. He sort of hesitates. The lad gets past him. He pulls him back, and actually Connor Matheson was coming across, and he probably didn't need to do it. But <coughs> you know, all, these games are all about learning, yeah. and um, um, so that puts you behind to a team who are intent on defending well, which is a tough thing. Um, Critch changed it at half time. Got Tony Gomez. On there, and he changed the game. Gomez just came on; he was all hustle, <coughs> and um, you know, you know I, as you know, I'm a big fan of Gomez, but yep. I think he's perhaps struggled a little bit to, with the jump to the 23s. Uh, he's been playing both, but uh, you know, at, at 23s level, he's not. You know, it's a learning year for him. I'd say at 23s, and but back down at 18s, he, he's popping up everywhere. Tony Gomez, and I was really impressed by his mentality throughout the second half. Um, Curtis, as you say, gets uh, a good equaliser. <coughs> All came about through Conor Masterson bringing the ball out of defence, and he actually plays the final pass in the end. Uh, so well done to Conor, who um, who steps up again at a crucial time in the mm -hmm. penalty shootout. Good captain's work from him, I say. And um, <coughs> I like Tony's goal. It's like uh, Davy Fairclough and Sintetia. Yeah, it just gets <laughs> so, we, yeah, so we go into extra time. Ball hoofed out of defence, really by us and. Tony just hustles the defender out of it. He makes a mistake, and there was never any doubt he was putting it in. And then at, at that stage, I'm writing my second uh, match report, having already <laughs> written that after 70 minutes, so it looked like we were going out. Then I wrote, oh, yeah, brilliant comeback victory. And at some stage, while I'm um, writing on my laptop, Liam Coyle got sent off, and I didn't notice, which is, what, um, <laughs> which is the first time that's ever happened at a game. And... Um, he he basically got a second yellow and walked off down the tunnel. So it, so it sort of happened like that, and uh, I got the shock of my life at full time and discovered he'd, uh, there was a, there was a swift extra line written into the match report. I can tell you, Gibbo. <laughs> so but, were, you, were you wondering suddenly why Palace was well, suddenly was, on top? I was going yeah, and people wonder why I didn't tweet about the sending off. So that that is why I, I completely <laughs> missed it. And um, Phil, my colleague on the Echo, actually did the same a few weeks ago at um, at an Everton game, and um, I'm probably shouldn't talk out of school there but um, um, and I remember thinking how can you miss a sending off um, well you can and, uh, and, then, and then for the yeah they were getting chances in that second period of extra time Camille, Camille Grabara really he was in it yeah really absolutely I mean, it wasn't like they were dominating the game but, but some big saves they there. got yeah some big saves and he's a good he's a good keeper I can only Mick will remember better but in terms of 23s I can only remember one one mistake uh, one mistake this season Mick at um Away at Chelsea when he when he dropped one and uh, um, the rest of the time uh, he's been superb. 
Yeah, he's, uh, I'm quite excited about young Camille. Um, he's really impressed me with his mentality. I think he's, he's very young. He's the same age as Ben Woodburn, if you look at the year that he's born. He's probably about four or five months older. But he's got this lovely um, knack of coming for crosses, which I don't see enough young goalkeepers doing nowadays. He's improving his footwork every day. I've just seen him improve massively in six months, which has excited me. I think Quivine Keller is a very, very good goalkeeper as well. Completely different, which is nice. And then Shamal George almost, you know, he came back from sort of four months out and put that performance in against Arsenal. So we've got a lot to be pleased and, and sort of look, to look forward to of our goalkeepers, noting that Danny Ward is doing outstanding at Huddersfield also. Yeah. How hard is it for goalkeepers and, and, and for you guys to develop them? Because it's, it's a position where everyone values experience even more so. And, and so if you're a 17-year-old um, a bed Woodburn, you know, people don't mind if you're a little bit raw and you can also give him 10 minutes at the end of a game and he can <laughs> pop up with a goal and be a hero. Whereas goalkeepers, it's much tougher. And Liverpool haven't got a great record of, of developing goalkeepers. And I, I mean, I can't think of any really, but but then at other top clubs, it, it's it's similar. It's yeah. tough, isn't it? So yeah, how, how hard is it? But these guys do look really, really talented. It does seem like we've got a really talented group. So, you know, they've got the best possible chance in terms of their ability. Yeah, I think uh, there's not been a Premier League club that's developed a goalkeeper for themselves, maybe developed from other, other teams. I think that it's one of them interesting stats that you see from time to time. Um, it is difficult. I think goalkeeper's development is probably five years behind an outfield player, so we'd all be happy to accept maybe a 23, 22, 23, 24-year-old goalkeeper, but not so much a 17, 18-year-old. Yeah. But we all want a young Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen, you know, the craze around Ben Woodburn's goal the other week. It tells you that's what people are crying out for, this young player. But with goalkeepers, because it's a position that's basically all about physique, isn't it? You know, getting up and down off of saves is a lot of power and agility in that. Coming for crosses takes a lot of strength and power in terms of jumping. And, and you, you've got to sort of marshal your back four. Generally, in a team, your centre-halves are your older players. So as a young man you've got to sort of boss around an old back four so I think with these goalkeepers we've got I think it's fantastic they spend a lot of time at Melwood as well so they get around the senior players that's where you've seen the growth of much of these players we can only do so much at Kirby mm -hmm. the moment they step to Melwood and as long as they are um, accepted with open arms like they have been and developed then you'll see these boys fly because it's just the confidence of being able to train alongside some of the senior players who have been your heroes and actually work out, do you know what? They're human and I can do some things as good as them. <coughs> the confidence that will give you as a young boy is, is huge. OK, um, we'll just have a little bit of a chat about 2016 to finish off, if, if, if you guys are up for that. Um, you, you mentioned before it's been a great year for the, for the academy, uh, Michael. It starts with a a mad Exeter game, doesn't it? Where there's a few lads who maybe weren't expecting to be involved with the, with the first team quite so soon. I remember Conor Masterson being on the bench and then uh, driving back and then he played for the under-18s, didn't he? Remember the the, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> which which I guess is, uh, you know, back down to earth a little bit. But, um, you know, that Exeter game, you know, is, is, is needs must. But throughout the year, um, and kind of a lot more guys have got in on merit, really. And, and that must be fantastic. You must have been so proud, you know, seeing, seeing Ben and Trent coming off you know, a month or so after Leeds and they're buzzing off each other and buzzing off the performance and you must have been as pleased as them. Yeah, the, the buzz in the academy has been fantastic. For the staff, it's a massive pat on the back. For 
uh, for the work that's gone on for a number of years because some of these boys have been since they're five or six years old. Also to convert one or two players that have been released by our rivals and make them first-team players has been fantastic. I think it's been very refreshing what Jurgen's done in terms of football in England. I think, you know, showing uh, faith in young players. It was a bit of a freak, the Exeter game, yeah. how it happened. But... Wow, like the it's almost become like if we didn't get a debut a month, it's like, come on, what's going on? Like, <laughs> what what a wonderful place to be when when most academies and ourselves would be included in that. You'd look for maybe one or two players to make a debut in a season. You know, the one thing that really stuck out for me is that we went out away at West Ham, but we played fantastic football yeah, that night. Yeah, and well. um, and you think of that midfield like Pedro Chirivella when he first come to England, uh, what would upset him in a game to what the level that he can play at now before getting upset. I thought in that in that game, Cameron Brannigan, you know, there'd be a lot of league managers up and down the country who'd think, oh, Cameron Brannigan on loan because of his size. And they went away and played against a very, what was last year a very, very good West Ham team. And we dominated the game. I was devastated for us to go out because the boys were going somewhere. But, mm. you know, you've seen it this year. I fought Trent Alexander recently against Tottenham. Tottenham's are a club who have very proud history of their own academy producing players. Well, I think in this moment, we'd be the club that people would be talking about. I think we've got a number of players that are now known to the general public. Um, and possibly uh, 18 months ago, it might be one or two. You might just have a Jordan Rossiter that's well-known or a Shea. Now you can talk about a number of them. I'm still really excited about one or two that are outside on loan. So I'm very excited about Danny Ward's future uh, when I look at other goalkeepers and what they're doing. And I'm also very excited about Ryan Kent because um, for me, it's not often you find a young English boy that's two-footed, can dribble, take players on. It's very exciting. What you need after that is decision-making, which hopefully he's learning on his loan at Barnsley now. Any highlights for you from 2016? Any particular moments, Glenn, that you'll remember? I just sort of go off the pitch. I think I can't remember when Jurgen said it, but when he when he talked about in the transfer market and how he said he'd much prefer to instead of you know spending and dipping into the transfer market for a player, where if he looked at who he had in the academy and then they could do a similar job. I mean that that's what like Liverpool you know fans like to see. I think all football fans like to see um, you know. Just look at when when Ben Woodburn comes on and when Ajaria and Alexander play. Like you know, the crowd love them um, because they're sort of like you know living their dreams. If if you get what I mean, and mm. you, I mean when Jurgen says those comments, because you know Liverpool have in the past you know spent money on a player who's you know you know a backup and you know doesn't really make that much of a contribution, and it's you could class it as a waste of money or resources. But to hear the fact that you know Klopp's always going to look down into his academy first to. To see if there's a player that can do a job for him must just must have just give the academy such a lift. I'm sure he he told you before, but when he comes out public in it, it must must give everyone you know what they do every day is is, is totally worth it. Yeah, when you have a new manager come to a club, you know it's you. I'd be lying if I said there wasn't an, a a worry of you know our boy's going to get a chance. It does this mean we're going to go and sign a lot more players and that's going to sort of block the pathway because. Uh, when Brendan was here, the pathway was kind of open, and we sort of we enjoyed that as an academy. It helped us grow. It was just grow belief, and belief's everything when you're when you're sort of running an academy. But Jurgen's sort of uh, taken it to another level. I've been really surprised by his sort of faith in the young players. You know, it's a fantastic surprise, but still, there's no managers doing it, especially in the big clubs. So mm. long may it continue. I think he said some lovely words recently about the academy. 
um, which you can't take back afterwards because he's obviously praised the staff and the work they're doing. Um, but the biggest way, all we... Uh, when I was there, all we wanted from him was to give him a chance, and that's all the players want. If they weren't good enough, we'd accept that and we'd move on, and players would go and have a career elsewhere and maybe bounce back. But um, he's shown a real duty of care, which the manager should do, but it's often said and, and not often done. He's shown a real you know, care for these young players. You only see the relationship. I thought the loveliest moment of this season... Um, was when Trent Alexander came off and tried to high five uh, Jurgen tried to high five him and Trent <laughs> wanted a hug. I oh, thought yeah, that was that a big moment. Yeah, no, absolutely fantastic. Eddie Halley to you, AK. Oh, too numerous to mention, John. But I mean, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you one that we don't play at Chester very much anymore. The coldest place in the world's good. Uh, I think having a sort of semi-permanent home now at. Uh, Prenton Park. I hope that really hope that continues. I think it's yeah, good. It's for nice tra- for Tranmere as well. Yeah, it? it's good for Tranmere. I think they get a couple of quid out of it, and uh, you know, I think it's good for the team to have a home to play the 23s to play there. Um, I love that you, you know being in Anfield for Ben's goal was fantastic, yeah. and the next uh, some great games. The three all 18s game against United a couple of weeks ago was absolutely on a real game of football. Everything happened in it. And uh, but especially, I think it's the next step is, and we often hear from Alex and and and, and Mick about it is a, not just debuts, but someone who's going to go on and play fifty, hundred times for Liverpool and go from there. And I think uh, in Trent, I think we, you know, I think we have that player, and you know, it's a long way to go, and there's many things that can happen. We all know the dangers of injury and and everything else, but you know, fingers crossed. I think. Uh, you know, Michael spoke about his growth in, in physically, and uh, I'm thinking if that continues, you know, I really think Trent will will be a Liverpool first team regular. Go on, Rob. Yeah, I'm just echoing that. I mean, seeing young players coming through is the way you put it, Michael. They're genuinely number two in their position now. Trent is is uh, Nathaniel Klein's deputy in waiting, mm. isn't he? And that's a, that's a major leap forward, I think, for seeing young players come through. You can see them having careers. Quietly, a highlight for me has been Kev Stewart though this year because. There was, all, there, was, there was a pattern with academies, I feel, whereby, especially at the top sides, that if they, were, if they didn't look the absolute business at 18, there's a fear that, not a fear, because they go on to develop careers elsewhere, that they're not going to play for Liverpool. How old's Kev Stewart now? He's heading 22. towards 22, 23. And, he, and he's in, now he might not be there in five years' time, but he's in and around the squad, and Jürgen's kept faith with him, and he's kept him as sort of, you know, Lucas's deputy, maybe he's number three in line. But I think that's an encouraging development. I, I, we, we commented when we, on the show about a year or so ago about how it had been a good thing to see at Tottenham's academy that the likes of Harry Kane, uh, you know, had, had been allowed to develop late. And that, that and I think, uh, is it Ryan Mason they had all season? Yeah. He, he was, they were given a chance to develop late, and it's good to see Liverpool do doing that and for me that's quite highlight of the year Kev Stewart for what it suggests about the academy yeah it's uh oh I'm so proud of him I'm so proud of him I knew he had it I knew he had it from the first day I met him there was just something about him as a boy we not in like you know there's this term like busy you know boys can be busy not in that at all because he's the most humble hard-working boy we had to literally send him home from the academy every day this is a boy who's a Liverpool fan as a young kid. I recently met his dad for the first time who asked to have his picture taken with me, which threw me massively. <laughs> That's how big of fans they are of the club. Um, but no, Kevin, because like, he moved to Liverpool and he lived in a, an apartment on his own and he just didn't want to go home. So he'd stay after training, go in the gym and just worked really hard. There was a stage where some clubs had put offers on the table for him and it was one of them you know, big moments where there was a conversation with a few of us. I was adamant he shouldn't go anywhere 
until we put him in front of the manager. Um, and I just think, because I just felt this boy had an energy and something that, that the first team staff would like. It took a little bit of time, you know, we put him in front of Brendan and, it, and he liked him, but he wasn't ready. And then put him again in front of, of Jurgen and the Exeter game. If the Exeter game doesn't happen, then Kev Stewart doesn't appear. Yeah. He's a much stronger player in training than what you're seeing in the games at the moment. And he's had some big games, the Barcelona game, but there's more to come. Mm. Um, and obviously, uh, the manager's shown huge faith in him. I think he signed a long-term contract recently, and, and, and that's a great sign. And uh, You need players like this that every day come to training and bring a lot of energy to the group, I think. And, and the manager should be sort of applauded for putting a lot of young players around the squad that train every day like it's the World Cup final. That energy they bring every day, I think, shouldn't be overlooked, I think. And uh, No, it's hard for me to pick out one youngster, but um, I, would, I would agree. I, I've been so proud of him. OK, um, I mean, we can leave it there. Or does anyone else want to... Last chance for Michael before he goes to Brazil? Well, I think we should just wish him wish yeah. him good luck over in Brazil and thank him for you know obviously everything he's done yeah. at the academy and for being so fantastic to the likes of Glenn, yeah. myself, and, and you, Gibber, with his time and everything else. And... You know, it's a big. He's you know to go over to Brazil and teach them about football. That's, you know, that, that is that is He's taken on a challenge there, but I think it's one we'll all follow with great interest. And uh, but uh, you know, um, you know, fantastic challenge ahead of them. No, a fantastic challenge, and best of luck to you. And, and just to echo, AK, um, thanks a lot for the generosity in terms of your time, not just today, but but over over the year to to, to us. It's, it's it's very much appreciated and. For those of us who feel it's important for people who work for Liverpool Football Club to, to have an element of class about them, um, it's been fantastic to meet you and, and, oh, and um, it oozes the class that we all want people to have involved in Liverpool. So best of luck to you and I'm sure you're always welcome to, uh, to come back if you, get, if you get bored of the sunshine and the beaches. Yeah, I'll come back maybe uh, next December and hopefully invited on the show and I'll be able to tell you about it. And hopefully we're talking then about someone breaking in and as uh, Andy said, playing... Uh, 10, 15, 20 games. I think we're on the cusp of that and I think uh, the club's in great hands at the moment and there's a lot of positive vibes around the first team, the academy, so long may that continue, gents. But thanks for, for, for inviting me in as well. Oh, thank you very much. Um, OK, we'll leave it there. Huge thanks to the guys and uh, we'll be back next year with hopefully uh, more Liverpool wins. Cheers. Obrigado. <laughs> <laughs> That was an Anfield Rap player show behind the paywall normally, but this week is part of the Christmas hamper. We just wanted to give it to you, let you listen, see what we're about. Hopefully you enjoyed it hugely. There'll be more of them to come. Sports Social Podcast Network.